And before I get to our speaker, I have asked them to pick a reading out of the big book. That reading um, can be on found on page 88, and it is this. It works. It really does. This meeting ends after the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Please remember to silence cell phones and keep distractions to a minimum during the speaker. Tonight, we are excited to have Risa from the PPG Webster Group in Rochester. Please give them an enthusiastic welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm Risa Milne. I am a recovered alcoholic. I've I've been sober since March 3rd, 2004, um, and as was said, my home group is the primary purpose group of, of Webster, New York. We call it PPG because there's another one in Rochester. We don't like to be mixed up. Um, it is a great meeting. It is on Zoom. It is on Sunday mornings at 9.30. We are a big book study group. We go through the book line by line, and uh, we go by... Uh, a study guide that virtually um, has a question for every line that's in the big book. Um, and then we open it up every paragraph or two for sharing on um, what the founders are trying to say to us, what the directions are, and um, how we are to, to follow those uh, directions to find a, a power greater than ourselves in order to stay sober. Um, we are different from other meetings where we don't talk about our experience too much, although uh, we do believe that experience is the lifeblood of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our group does um, feel that going through those directions is extremely important. So if anyone's interested, it's Sunday mornings, uh, 9.30 a.m. I love it because I can go and just put on shorts and not leave the house. Um, but it's it's really cool. We get people from all over the country, all over the world um, there. It's it's just it's a really cool thing. Anyway, um, I just want to thank Matt for, for asking me. Um, I got a phone call from him last weekend and uh, just happened to be free this weekend on, on Friday. So here I am. Um, and it's... Uh, just being in this room like kind of throws me back. Um, I back like maybe about 2005, 2006. I had a sponsor up in Buffalo, and um, I would come up to do steps with her uh, once or twice a week. And we would there was at the time a, a meeting that met here called the Three Legacies Group, and we would come to that meeting. Uh, she was it was her home group, and I would come to that meeting regularly with her. And and I kind of grew up in that group. A little bit and learned about the the traditions and the concepts and you know the instructions in the book and uh, it was it was a great time it was so fun uh, the fellowship it was just it was an amazing time and I'm standing in this church and it doesn't look anything like it used to <laughs> like it used to be like wood paneling and you know some like it was it was a cruddy little room and you know I was talking to James at, before the meeting like most of my best meetings I've been in are cruddy little rooms that the tile peeling off the floor and um, you know there's still there's still cigarette stains on the walls from days gone by um, 
Anyway, um, I prayed and meditated before I got up here, so I really don't know what I'm going to say. The whole ride here, I was talking to Casey um, on the way here, and I was like, well, first I was, uh, I was listening to a speaker on the third step, and halfway through listening to the speaker on the third step, I realized I was trying to pick up some really good information to spout out at you, so I sounded really good. And then I turned, I was like, all right, we're going to turn this off. Then I was like, all right, I'm going to be just me and God here. I'm going to, you know, talk to God. I'm going to build this relationship I've been building with God. And then the next thing I knew is I was starting to rehearse. Um, if anybody's spoken at meetings before, you know, there's there's uh, some of that rehearsal. And, you know, I like to sometimes think of myself as like some late night talk show host. And I'm going to get up and like, just like all over the board. And I've got like jokes in my head. And and then like I you know like if I if I go with that and I don't pray and meditate I'll come up here and try and tell some joke and it'll go off wrong and you'll look at me like I'm crazy and and it's usually just self will spouted out of my mouth and I'll go home and cry because I I know that I just wasted everybody's time putting on the Risa show so uh, so at that point I was like all right. We'll wait till we're at the meeting to pray and meditate, throw on some music, and I got my head out of it. Um, there was a beautiful rainbow, though, on the way here, and I just, uh, it was a moment where I knew God was going to be with me. And even though right now I am nervous and my hands just got sweaty, um, I knew God would be with me. And, and as long as, uh, you know, I, I have that relationship today, I, I'm okay, you know. So, um, I, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my original, like, original experience coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and then we're going to skip forward 16 years. Um, time machine. Um, so I came into the rooms of AA originally when I was 22. I didn't get sober right away. Um, I was cranky. I was miserable. Um, I, I heard all sorts of stuff that today I know is not the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to maybe about four or five meetings a day. I wanted, I, I came up with reasons to want to drink just so I could talk and people could like, it's okay. And, um, I was I was angry. I, I I didn't you know want to be of service to anybody. People would talk about a love. I wanted to punch them in the face. Um, you know, just all of that stuff. Um, I did have I did hear get a sponsor. Um, that was one thing I heard, and and so I went and I got a sponsor. And and my first sponsor ever said to me, "If you're not an alcoholic, don't waste my time." I was 22 years old. I didn't know what an alcoholic was. I know that what I would hear in meetings was that person was homeless and that person went to prison and that person, you know, lost their their house and their wife and their children. And I was 22 and, you know, like I still had my car. Um, I still had my studio apartment. I really thought I was a winner because I kept my two cats alive. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't know if I was, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew I was miserable. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I didn't waste her time. And, and I kind of flipped through that for a while. And, and I had one friend during this time, and she and I were both really cranky together. And we would make fun of the big book thumpers. And, you know, we would sit in the back of the room and laugh at people who would actually talk about the solution. I didn't hear it at the time. I wasn't ready to hear it. But, you know, make fun of those people. And um, eventually... Um, 
I went in and out, had a few moments, you know, of sobriety here, dryness, um, pick up again, you know, back and forth. And eventually I ended up getting 11 months behind me and uh, I was really cranky and I was really irritable and I hated my life and I hated myself and I was sitting in my um, my tiny studio apartment with the two cats and um, sitting there thinking, if this is what sobriety is, I don't want it. I don't want it. And, uh, and I picked up and uh, it la- I picked up, it lasted for maybe a 10 minutes of like, and then um, I just kind of like, there was a moment where I realized this is not the life I want to continue to lead. I didn't want to keep feeling like it was Groundhog Day over and over again. I didn't want to keep feeling like, um, I didn't know what weather it was like outside. I didn't know what season it was. I, I just, I would just be like a glazed over person walking through the streets, you know, like not really knowing what was going on. And, and it, it just it was a voice that wasn't mine that says, you don't want to live this way anymore. And in my pajamas, I threw on my slippers. I um, went to a meeting, a noon meeting at that time. And I told everybody that I was miserable and I went back out and they said, well, the Rochester Convention's coming up soon. You should uh, go over there and be of service. So I did. I went over and I walked in there and I said, what can I do? And they said, you can get behind registration and you can start handing out, you know, taking money and giving people their registration tickets. And I said, all right. So I did that and I would see people who knew me and I'd, um, I relapsed again. Uh, and two things happened at that convention. The very first thing that happened was there was this cranky old lady, and she was like the, she had like 30 years sober, and she was like the one woman, she was like so cranky, and you're, you know, like she talked about the big book all the time, she was miserable, like I looked at her as like miserable, (laughs) Um, and she told me, girls like you don't get sober, She doesn't know who she's dealing with. Um, right then and there, I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong. You know, and, you know, there are times I've used that on sponsees. <laughs> They're, you know, like, mm, I don't think you're going to get this, you know, because, you know, like, we just, we have that attitude of, like, I'm going to show you, you know, and uh, and I, so that was my first thing that happened, was, was that woman told me that, and I was just like, okay, challenge accepted. Um, and then another thing was, is that woman that I became friends with, and she and I would sit in the back of the rooms, and we would, you know, make fun of people, and we were crotchety together. She, um, I saw her, and she looked different. And uh, she had this this look about her. And, and uh, in the big book, you know, when we're reading Bill's story, you know, Bill talks about Ebby in that way, you know. He, he had something about his eyes. There was something about him. And that was what was going on with her. And she seemed calm and she seemed serene and she, she wasn't angry and, and she smiled a lot, a lot. And, like, she was, like, she was happy. And I was, like, what happened to you? What? Like, not in a happy way either. I was like, hmm, like, and she was like, I, I, I went into, I got a sponsor and we did the steps in the big book. 
It's like, all right, well, all right, good for you, you know. And um, and what happened was, is if anyone's ever been to a convention, especially when you're new, sometimes you know that camaraderie, the the joyousness, the the energy in the room, it really gets to you. You know, sobriety feels great. It's amazing. It's awesome. You know, and you're like, yeah, hey, hey sobriety. And then what happened was, I went home on Sunday night to my two cats, and I was by myself. And I was really depressed, and I was really lonely, and it was awful. And the next day, I went to my meeting, and it was horrible. I didn't like the speaker. I didn't like the topic. I wanted a drink. I didn't want to be there. Wednesday, eventually, I went to this meeting, and um, there, that woman was there again. Still happy. Like, like the whole, like she, she, she was still happy. Like, it, it wasn't that the energy wore off on her. Like, she truly had something, and and I remember going up and being like, all right, all right, what happened? Really, what happened?" And she said, "I told you, I I got a sponsor. I worked the steps out of the big book." And I looked at her and I said, "I want that. I want that. I want what you have." And she said, "Sure." Show up at my house at 6.30 on Sundays, every Sunday. We're going to go through the book for an hour. You're going to then drive me to my home group. That home group is going to be your home group. You're going to have whatever service position we deem that you should have. And you will get 30 phone numbers of women, and you will call one of those women every single day. And if you don't do those, I won't talk to you. And she didn't tell me that she was going to fire me. All she said is she's not going to put more, more effort into my sobriety than I was. And at that point, I don't know what it was because that relapse really wasn't the worst drinking experience I ever had. I, I wasn't in the pits of despair, I was, you know, but I just, I was done. And so I did exactly what she told me to do. And I started, and we started going through this book, and, and I started to have a spiritual experience. And, um, and as a result, at, at the 10th Step Promises, I knew those. I knew those in my heart where it talks about um, you are no longer fighting alcohol. Um, you, are, you are in a place of neutrality, safe and protected. And I was like, whoa, I'm right here. And she's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it was amazing. And, um, and after that, you know, I, I became like many people who get sober and have a spiritual experience through working the steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It became really, really annoying. Really, really annoying. And I would go to meetings and I would pound on this thing and I would tell you all how you're staying sober is wrong. And I thought I really needed to tell the little old ladies who had been sober for 30 years who had gratitude boxes that that's not how it's done. And, you know, I just became this, this ugly sober woman. It wasn't, what I had was not attractive, and I would get a sponsee here and there, and I would work with others and, and, and stuff like that, and I, I started going through the book and studying the book, and I started memorizing the book, and I, and I had everything, you know, like memorized, and I was like this AA guru, you know, and people would be like, oh, that's Risa. She's really serious about this stuff. Oh, that's Risa. She knows her stuff. Oh, Risa, you're da-da-da-da-da. Oh, it was great. It was amazing. 
it was also really lonely because there weren't a lot of people who actually wanted to be my friend and the sponsees didn't really hang out very long you know they they were kind of like all right she's trying to like you know like tell me how to live my life and her life is still not that well together I was dating a heroin addict in a jail (laughs) you know like um but I know how to help you with your relationships. So, um, you know, it was, I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And, and what happens um, when you're a mess and you're not building a relationship with God? Because what I was under the, the, the delusion of, and I knew that I heard, you don't graduate at the 12-step. You don't graduate at the 12-step. You don't graduate at the 12-step. I, I heard that. I didn't know what the heck that meant necessarily. You know, like I was like, okay, I keep sponsoring people. I keep sponsoring people. That's that's really what I thought it was. And every once in a while, you know, once every few years, when my back's up against the wall, I do like this major inventory, and I get back on like this high spiritual high top again. And then I start working with people, and I, you know, just again until the next huge inventory, right? And um, I did that. For 16 years. Um, And here's the thing. I stayed sober. I stayed sober. um, And what I, what happened though is, um, you know, life happened. I I got married. I I graduated college. I got married. I had two children. Life happened. And uh, I couldn't do AA the way that I did it before. I didn't go to all these meetings anymore. I couldn't sponsor as many people who left me after the third step as anymore. Um, I, I couldn't go to 8,000 service commitments. Um, I couldn't do all of that stuff anymore. And, uh, and I didn't realize it at the time. This is, you know, you realize things um, in, uh, you know, backwards, you know, in, in hindsight. I didn't realize it at the time. But what had happened to me is I stopped thinking I was powerless over alcohol. I had power. I had self-knowledge. And I read, I can't tell you how many times I've read more about alcoholism where it talks to you about self-knowledge is, you know, not going to keep you sober. But I didn't think that was what I was. I thought I really had this relationship with a higher power. You know, I thought that I really, you know, like I thought I was doing it. And I would go to these meetings and I would talk this grand talk and people loved me and people would come up to me and say, oh, it's so good that you're here and I love hearing what you have to share. And, and I would get in my car and I would cry myself home. And I would know that it just wasn't, I wasn't okay. You know, um, I drove Patrick nuts coming up with something for him to to um, read up here. And the one thing, you know, like this is this is like the the epitome of my sobriety in a nutshell over those 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 sixteen years. Um, and I wanted to read it myself, and so that's why I I, I took it back. More, it's, and this is on page 73 of the big book. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. 
He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. And that was what was going on. At about 14 years sober, I started to have an emotional affair on my husband. I was stealing time um, from work. I was lying to everybody. I had two children that I didn't want anything to do with. I wish I had never had them. Um, it was, and, and that one was my dirtiest secret. You know, that was my dirtiest, dirtiest secret, and I could never say that out loud to anybody in my whole entire life. And I was so resentful that I, I couldn't live the way that I wanted to live anymore. And I just went back into this pit of, of just selfishness and self-pity. And, and, you know, I, I started to seek counseling. I started to seek all these outside things. And nothing was working. I, I, I just couldn't feel better. And um, my sobriety date is March 2004. And in 2020, when I had 16 years sober, the world shut down. And I was left alone. My husband is a, um, he's a truck driver, so he wasn't, he wasn't home to help me. Um, I was left a ho a home alone with those two kids that I couldn't stand at a job that I absolutely abhorred. Having to be a mother to them, a cook, a teacher. And I realized how alone I was because the one thing, the one relationship that should be able to get me through anything and everything, I didn't have. And that was a relationship with my higher power. And it hit me that I was completely and utterly alone. And for some reason in my brain, I didn't think I would ever feel better. And I didn't feel like I could ever have the amazing spiritual experiences I had from when I was first sober without drinking again. It, it was very apparent to me that I had to drink again in order to have the experiences that I had when I first done the, the 12 steps. Bless you. Um, and... Um, And I really believe that. My husband's in this program too. And uh, you know, we have we don't have people who drink, so we don't have alcohol in the house, but we do have isopropyl alcohol. <clears throat> it's great for children's science projects. Um, but I he needed to hide it. I needed him to hide the isopropyl alcohol. I needed to put um, some wet napkins or paper towels with some soap on them in a Tupperware container to leave in my car because I couldn't have hand sanitizer. I couldn't stop thinking about alcohol. All I wanted was to put it in my body. And there finally came a day where I was not going to be able to hold myself back again. And the only thing I knew to do was to go to my bedroom, close the door, shut everybody off from me, and go to sleep. And that's what I did. And I told my husband when he was home, I said, it's your job, I'm done. I'm done. 
an hour later. An hour later, he came running up. 2020 was a horrible, horrible year for many, many people. My life was saved. He came running up, and because meetings had to go on to Zoom, we were able to go to these meetings of, of speakers that we had heard on, on tapes for so long. And he had been going to this one big book study. And uh, one of the people from that big book study was, was doing a talk at a, at a thing on Zoom um, convention. I don't know if you can even call it that. But she, um, she, was, she was talking, and he came racing up. He came racing up with the computer. He's like, you need to hear this woman. And she had over 30 years of sobriety. She talked about how at 15, 14 or 15 years sober, she had pretty much a beverage in her hand. And pretty much, it was my story. Like, it was exactly the same thing that I was going through. And she was so excited about AA. And she was so excited about God. She was so excited about the big book. And she was all the things that I wished I could be again. But I still had that thought that I had to drink again in order to do that. And this woman did not have to do that. And I just fell in love. And so I went to her home group the next week, which was also a big book study like my home group. And I listened to these people. God, there was like 400 or 500 people there. And I was listening to them. They were in the fourth step at that time. And I have gone through this book thousands of times. I've had hundreds of sponsees. I prided myself on knowing everything that was in this book. I know the history, I know the names of the people, I know the buildings, I know it. I don't know what book they were reading out of, but I had never heard it before in my life. And so I started going to that meeting and I started listening to what they were saying and I started having this new experience. And I started realizing I wanted to go through the big book again the way that these people went through the big book. <laughs> And much like our grandiose thinking, I felt like the only way I could get the sobriety I wanted was by the big, you know, circuit speaker. You know, like I, I, I needed the circuit speaker to help me get sober. And so, of course, my big plan was I'm going to reach out to this group and I'm going to say I need a sponsor and I'm going to tell them my whole woe story. And they're going to be like, we have to put these two together. It's just kismet. Instead... They gave me the name of this woman in Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> and, um, and I called her up. And, you know, like, it, you start talking to somebody on the phone or face-to-face -face or, you know, and, and you can feel when there's something there. Like, it's, a, it's an electric feeling. And within, like, I don't know, five minutes, this woman had all my trust all of it. 
Her story was that at 16 years sober, she started to drink again, and she lost her children, and she lost her family, and she lost her husband, and she went from being this um, suburban, uh, white, rich woman who drove around in a Mercedes to somebody who ended up in jail. She had four years sober. I had 16. I will still do whatever that woman tells me to do. She is amazing. And so, she, you know, I started talking to her, and she said, I'll take you through the steps again. And she took me through them in a way that I had never gone before. And as I was doing it, I continued to go to those step meetings because she didn't take me through. Um, today, when I take women through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it is more important for you to gain a relationship with a higher power than it is for you to know every word de definition in the Big Book. You do not have the power not to drink. So if I thoroughly believe that I don't have the power not to drink, then I'm not going to sit there and wait two, three, four months for you to find these definitions and to write these wordy essays and to tell me what God is and God isn't to you. We'll get there. But we need to do some triage first. And we need to get you to a place where you are not going to pick up that first drink. And in my experience and my knowledge, the only way that can happen for a real alcoholic is as with a power greater than themselves. And I can't be that power. So today I take women through the book as fast as I can. Now, I do take into account that people are individuals, and I do take into account that some people need to spend a lot more time on the first step than other steps. However, that woman took me through the, the, the basic text very quickly. She saw that I needed some triage. And with that, she encouraged me to continue to go to those big book studies because that's where I was going to learn all the other stuff. That's where I was going to pick up all this other stuff. And so I did that. And um, God, I got to teach you, not teach you, because there's a lot of people, I think in my head, the delusion that I live with is that I never heard any of this stuff in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, that's the delusion I tell myself. And the delusion that I tell myself is like, oh, like I have to carry like all of this stuff. And, and really, the reality is, you know, I just didn't hear it because I didn't want to hear it. I, my, my, my ego and pride were so big that it shut all of that stuff out. You couldn't tell me anything, you know. One of the big things that I realized at 16 years sober, I found out what alcoholism is. We don't discuss what alcoholism is as much as we need to. We're powerless over alcohol, and what that means is when I put it in my body, I can't, I can't stop. I can't control it. But the part that really just hit me like a bomb is I have 
absolutely no control if it pops into my body again. None. You know, we, we talk about this mental obsession and how big it is, and, and I understand that mental obsession, but, like, I didn't realize, like, I could literally just be, you know, like, walking down the street and all of a sudden go into a bar and, and get a shot of tequila. I have no power over that. And I always was one of those people when it talked about unmanageability, I thought it was your life is unmanageable. Like, everything's in chaos. It's crazy. The unmanageability that they're talking about in step one is I cannot manage my alcoholism. I have tried every known way to manage it. I have tried fear. I've tried self-knowledge. I've tried pride and ego. I've tried other people. Marrying an alcoholic who's sober. You know, I've tried all of those things. I've, I've tried, you know, having the nice house and the things that are supposed to make me feel good inside and normal. But that didn't do anything for my alcoholism. I'm unmanageable over it. I'm unmanageable. And so that was like one of the first, I don't know, it was, it was weird because I'm like, I know the first step, and, but like it just like really sunk in that, it, you know, now 19 years sober, I'm still powerless as the day I walked into Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't have the heat on anymore. I don't have the stuff on my back on anymore. You know, so I get lazy and I start, oh, I got this, I got this, you know, like I, I spoke at a meeting the other day, I don't have to do anything, I don't, you know, like I, I talked to a sponsee yesterday, I don't need to talk to another one till like, you know, maybe Sunday, you know, like I start getting that way. So then the other thing that like just blew my mind is the third step, all right? I honestly believed that I was only selfish and self-centered while I was still out there drinking. And maybe, you know, like before I worked the steps. But I really was convinced that, like, once I got to step 12, I no longer was selfish and self-centered and no longer, like, I mean, it's insane. And when I look back at my life today, I'm like, but that's who I am. I am a delusional alcoholic. You know, I wasn't in denial about my selfishness. I really didn't see it. I really didn't see it. It didn't look like that to me. I mean, to the point, like, I, call, I, call, I called my sponsor one day, and I was like, Ryan ruined dinner. And she goes, how did Ryan ruin dinner? I said, well, I really wanted to create this really amazing meal for him to show my love him. And I went and I found this recipe and I went to the grocery store and I got all this stuff and I, you know, I poured all this love into it and I was cutting up the vegetables and I, you know, like, and I was doing all of this stuff and, and I made him this wonderful dinner. And she's like, oh, that sounds great. That's so, that's wonderful. And in my head, selfless, right? Selfless. I'm doing something nice for someone else. So I sit all of my family around the table and I give everybody a plate. Not my children, they're not going to eat the dinner. They had chicken nuggets. Um, 
but I give it to my husband and I have my plate and this is when it starts. I stare at him. You gonna taste it? He tastes the side dish. No, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta taste that part, the chicken part. That's the part that you gotta taste. And he bit into it and he goes, it's good. Because the selfless act that I was doing for him turned selfish. I needed his validation on how this meal was to make me feel all right, to make me feel good inside. And the reaction that he produced was not the one that I had written out for him. <sighs> and so I got pouty. I even got tears in my eyes. It was horrible. It was the worst thing that had possibly ever happened to me. My daughter had lung surgery at six months, but this, this topped the bill, you know? And uh, I was just, I was crying. I, I couldn't eat. I became grouchy. Upstairs to bed, I went, screw you all. And I walked upstairs. My sponsor says, are you really calling me to tell me that your husband ruined dinner? And I said, yeah, what should I do about him? <laughs> and she said, you're going to give him a day, and you're going to go downstairs, and you're going to meet with both of your children and your husband, and you're going to clean this up because you ruined dinner for all three of them. And the thing is, is like, she tells me awareness is the blessing, and it is. That was three years ago. I've never done it again. Other stuff, yes, but not that, not with the dinner. <laughs> and so here we talk about, you know, um, on that basis, we're almost always, all, almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. You know, oftentimes my motives are good. I think I'm doing the best that I think is best for you and them and me and mainly me, more me, you know, like that's, that's you know, what I'm trying to do. And, um, and, I, and, and what this book says is that, you know, like I, I'm an actor, you know. I write the script for all of you. Every single person in this room, I have some sort of script in my head for. Okay, everybody, I, you're not special. It's everybody I like look at. I have a script for you. You're supposed to react to me a certain way. I'm supposed to react to you a certain way. We're supposed to have this you know, conversation and, and it never works out. And when it does work out, it still doesn't work out. Does anybody realize that? Like even when you get what you want, it just still not right. It's because I'm still relying on all these outside issues to make my insides feel good. You know, I'm still relying on what you think of me to make me feel good. I'm still relying on enough love to make me feel good. 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to move these things around and piece all of you. And, and the thing is, is I have scripts for you, and most of the time I'm not telling you your scripts, and so I don't tell you your scripts, and you still don't follow your script, and then I become more angry with you. And then on 61, it talks about we have this toolkit of self-will. It says, in trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. You know, my kids don't do what I want. Hey, let's do a sticker chart. Oh, come on. You're, you know, you're my smart little boy. You can read this book or, you know, if you, if you just, if, if you vacuum the back, I'll give you a dollar. The dollar's not enough. He said no. So then what happens? On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Don't you know how much me and your father do for you? Don't you know how lucky you are that you don't have two parents who are drunks and screaming at you and beating you? Get up to your room while you're crying as I'm telling you these things. And then I start to feel self, you know, self-pity, which is just another form of selfishness. And I start to feel like a bad mom. So then I go back up there. Oh, I'm so sorry, mommy loves you so much. You know, and it's this constant cycle of selfishness and self-seeking. And I take it through, like, everybody who's close to me, people who aren't even close to me, they go through it because you're not doing what I need you to do to make me feel right about myself. And then, you know, it talks about admitting he may be somewhat at fault. He is sure that other people are more to blame. He has become angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world if he only manages well? Victim back in 1937 meant duped. Duped. All right, so what this is saying is, is he not being duped that he can rest? W-R-E-S-T, root root of wrestling, that he can pretty much, he, isn't he a victim, a, he's being duped, fooled, that he can fight his way to happiness and satisfaction? I don't know about anyone in this room, but I know when I'm fighting, I'm not pretty happy and I'm not satisfied, but yet that is a thing that I'm, victim to every single time. The greatest promise in this big book. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. I think it's one of the best promises in the, and the greatest promises in this book because if it's not my problem, if I'm not the one who did it, there's no solution. There's no solution. I can't change anybody. The only thing I can do is try to take the actions to build a relationship with my higher power in which I have a spiritual awakening that gives me the ability to live the principles that are in this big, big book in my life. And as I live those principles of this big book in my life, this book says we become less and less interested in ourselves. It, does, it doesn't say fully. 
which is good because I'll never get there. Um, and it says we become more and more interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. So the more that I work these principles in my life, the more that my mind and my thoughts go to me, and the more they go to you, and they, they become God-centered and others-centered. And instead of thinking how Risa can get hers and how Risa can feel better and how Risa can do this and Risa can do that and how you can do for Risa, I start thinking, how can I do for you? In the ninth step, it says, um, bear with me because I don't have this thing memorized anymore. <clears throat> I will find it. That's the wrong thing. All right. Well, anyway, I have the gist of what I'm looking for in my head. Um, so don't come up to me and be like, you quoted it wrong. Oh, I found it. I found it. I found it. Woohoo. Um, on page 77, and this is at the top of, uh, this is right towards the end of the ninth step amends process, and when it's talking about, you know, living in this world with others and starting to, to show the principles and not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service of, to God and the people about us. And in that third step, I saw only, third step, fourth step, and fifth step. I saw only how I tried to fit you into my purpose. And the more that I work these principles in my affairs, the more that I continue to grow in this relationship with God, the more that I, I, I don't just talk this thing. I don't go to meetings today and just live in, in Alcoholics Anonymous anymore. But I live the principles that are in this book and the more I do that, the more I can fit myself into what God's real purpose is for me. I don't have to think about myself as much. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect by any means. You know, um, last weekend I almost ruined my son's eighth birthday because I was ticked off that I didn't get to go to a convention I wanted to go to. It was, it was rough. It was disgusting. It was really disgusting. And after I realized aware, the awareness, every time my sponsor says that, I want to hang the phone up on her. Um, the real awareness, when I started to become aware of it, I tenth-stepped it right away, you know? Um, that's the other piece that was missing from my program and for the way I live my life. I somehow started to believe that steps 10 and 11 were bonus. They were extra credit steps. You know, okay, I did step nine, now I get to skip to step 12, I get to go helping people, and you know, I'd be at the meetings where 10 and 11 were come up, and I'd be like, I'm really not that great at that. 
I'm not that good at that. Oh, I sometimes meditate. I sometimes do this. Oh, you know, I do a, I do a no, new inventory every year. Yeah, I thought it was bonus. I thought it was, you know, extra credit. And really, in order to continue to walk the walk of a recovered woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, I need to continue to build that relationship with my higher power because I don't have it in me to be rid of my defects on my own. And the only way that I'm going to ever be close to, to getting rid of these defects is to build that relationship. I have to do that on a daily basis. And so I look at step 10 as like this, this step where it's like, move out of the way. The bus is coming right at you or about to get hit. Get out of the way. You know, there have been days where I've done a 10th step three or four times on different things. You know, I'm still cranky towards the end of the day, but, you know, I'm usually able to see my part and pray about it and go to God with it later that night. And then that night, at night it tells us to, to take inventory. It, <clears throat> um, it tells us to take inventory, and when I take that inventory, I can see how I've been selfish and self-centered. I can see where I've been resentful. And my sponsor today goes, I know you're not going to have these crazy resentments. Let's look at annoyances. Let's look at being peeved. Let's look at being like, where are you rolling your eyes? Because those are the small things that are going to build to those bigger things. She pretty much said, I'm never allowed to say no on those questions. Somewhere, somehow that day, I've been resentful. I've been selfish. I've been fearful. And I've lied to at least myself. So I do that, and it's beautiful. It used to, you know, like it used to be like, oh my God, self pity, like I'm such a horrible person. But today there's this question, because I write mine out on a sheet. You don't have to, the book doesn't say, but it works for me. And there's this question that says, what could you have done better? And I love that because I can write down what I could have done better. And then it gives me a place where I can meditate on what my actions for the next day are going to be. And I can bring that into my meditation the next morning. It's like cheating. I get to just pull that out, you know, the next morning and be like, oh, yeah, this is what I needed to work on. We can go right straight to God with that right now this morning. And it's amazing. I live an absolutely amazing life today. I got exactly what I wanted from Alcoholics Anonymous and my higher power. And I continued to get that on a regular basis. And I never had to pick up a drink again. I just had to get back into action. I had to stop being a fake and a phony who just knew what I, you know, the words. And I never walked the walk. I get to be a mother to those two children, and I love those two children with all of my heart, and I am so glad that they are in my life because they've taught me more about God than anything else in my life. I get to be an amazing wife today. I don't really cook anymore. Um, I get to go back to school today. I'm 43 years old, and I never thought I'd be able to get the chance to go back to school and do the, the thing that I've always dreamed of doing but I get to do that today. You know, I have a wonderful life. I have friends all over this world, all over the earth, who talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, who talk openly and happily about God and the solution that are in these rooms. 
it works. It really does.